how many of you guys have started a project and uh, you got along a little ways and then you realize you're going to need a little bit of help? You ever, you've ever been there before? Tried something, maybe it was new, and you realized I can't uh, figure it out? I find myself there a lot. Now the thing is, I, I don't really like to ask for assistance or to admit that I need assistance, but it just seems like I'm always having to ask. I don't know why. Especially when it comes to woodworking or mechanics, that's where I really need the help. But um, no matter, I was thinking about the truth is no matter who we are or, or how good we might be in a particular area, there are going to be things that we don't know how to do or we cannot do alone. Some tasks that will be impossible for any one particular person. And this morning we're going to read about a task that could be described as impossible in, in one sense, uh, humanly speaking. We've been going through the story of Nehemiah and he heard about the troubles in Jerusalem and he is gone now in chapter two uh, with the blessing of the king to strengthen God's people. And today, as we read uh, Nehemiah chapter three, it's interesting to me because Nehemiah is kind of not the focus there is a Nehemiah in the passage, but it's a different one. Now we see how God has used Nehemiah in leading up to chapter 3. But here the focus becomes upon all of the people of God serving the Lord together and doing something they could not have done on their own. If you would uh, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 3, if you haven't done so already, you probably notice it's a little bit of a different passage than normal. You might uh, say that it's a little bit tedious if you had read through it. But stay with me, because this chapter describes real people like you and me. Real people serving the Lord in a, in a very tangible way. So let's read Nehemiah chapter 3, all 32 verses together. And uh, if you have a map, you see that the work begins at the top of the map, and if you can maybe follow along with the names around. I don't even know if they know where everything is, but they have some ideas. Nehemiah chapter 3. Then Eliashib the high priest and his priestly colleagues arose and built the sheep gate. They dedicated it and erected its doors, working as far as the Tower of the Hundred and the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built adjacent to it, and Zakur, son of Imri, built adjacent to them. The son of Hassanah rebuilt the fish gate. 
They laid its beams and positioned its doors, its bolts, and its bars. Merimah, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, worked on the section adjacent to them. Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezebel, worked on the section next to them. And Zadok, son of Banna, worked on the section adjacent to them. The men of Tekoa worked on the section adjacent to them, but their town leaders would not assist with the work of their master. Joyada, son of Pasea, and Meshulam, son of Besodea, worked on the Jeshuna gate. They laid its beams and positioned its doors, its bolts, and its bars. Adjacent to them worked Melatea, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Meranothite. Now these towns were under the jurisdiction of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. Aziel, son of Harhiah, a member of the goldsmiths' guild, worked on the section adjacent to him. Hananiah, a member of the perfumers' guild, worked on the section adjacent to him. Now they plastered the city wall of Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Rephiah, son of Hur, head of a half-district of Jerusalem, worked on the section adjacent to them. Jediah, son of Harumaf, worked on the section adjacent to them opposite his house. And Hattush, son of Hashabneah, worked on the section adjacent to him. Malkijah, son of Harim, and Hashub, son of Pahath-Moab, worked on another section in the Tower of the Ovens. Shalom, son of Halohesh, head of a half-district of Jerusalem, worked on the section adjacent to him, assisted by his daughters. Hanan and the residents of Zenoa worked in the Valley Gate. They rebuilt it and positioned its doors, its bolts, and its bars. In addition to working on 1,500 feet of the wall as far as the Dung Gate. The Dung Gate, now we've gone all the way to the bottom, from the north along the western wall down to the bottom gate, fittingly named, and now we're going to go up the eastern wall towards the north. Shalon, son of Kol Heza, head of the district of Mizpah, worked on the fountain gate. He rebuilt it, put on its roof, and positioned its doors, its bolts, and its bars. In addition, he rebuilt the wall of the Pool of Siloam by the royal garden as far as the steps that go down from the city of David. Nehemiah, son of Azbuk, head of a half-district of Bethzer, worked after him as far as the tombs of David and the artificial pool and the house of the warriors. After him, the Levites worked, Rehum, son of Bani, and after him, Hashabiah, head of half the district of Keilah, for his district. And after him, their relatives worked, Binu, son of Henadad, head of a half district of Keilah. Adjacent to him, Ezer, son of Jeshua, head of Mizpah, worked on another section opposite the ascent to the armory at the buttress. After him, Baruch, son of Zebai, worked on another section 
from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, worked on another section from the door, uh, worked opposite his house, sorry. After them, Azariah, son of Maaseiah, the son of Ananiah, worked near his house. After them, Binu, son of Henadad, worked on another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress and the corner. After him, Palel, son of Uzai, worked opposite the buttress and the tower that protrudes from the upper palace of the court of the guard. After him, Pediah, son of Parash, and the temple servants who were living on the Ophel worked up to the area opposite the water gate toward the east and the protruding tower. After them, the men of Tekoa worked on another section from opposite the great protruding tower to the wall of Ophel. Now above the horse gate, the priests worked each in front of his house. After them, Zadok, son of Emmer, worked opposite his house. And after him, Shemaiah, son of Shechaniah, guard at the east gate, worked. After him, Hananiah, son of Shelemiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zalaph, worked on another section. After them, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, worked opposite his quarters. After him, Malkijah, one of the goldsmiths, worked as far as the house of the temple servants and the traders opposite the inspection gate and up to the room above the corner. And between the room above the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and traders worked. So there you go. You've been around the city of Jerusalem, beginning on the north, all the way clockwise around. We are told who built which section of the city and the walls. That's a, a fair amount of work. Approximately two miles of walls, ten gates mentioned, and several towers. That was accomplished. We don't, it's only begun here. We read in the next chapter there will be opposition that uh, is sparked pretty well as soon as they begin the work, and yet they complete their rebuilding in 52 days, according to Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15. So, just under two months work. They worked long hours, though. Chapter 4 talks about working when the stars, until the stars came out. So, um, they worked hard. It's also impressive because of the variety of people who worked. This was not something just that a, a few select people did, but from the, the high priests and the Levites to the various craftsmen and the merchants, from the rulers to the common workmen, 
from residents that lived in Jerusalem to the surrounding towns. This was not just a one little town work, but the work of the the whole people. Um, And even some, some of the daughters were involved. And I thought about that. And it is interesting to me. It is really neat to see how the people all worked together. But I think it's important to understand that people didn't do this just by banding together. You know, there's a story way back at the beginning of the Bible that talks about a time humanity got together in the Tower of Babel, and their purpose was very clearly laid out. It was to make a name for themselves. What happened is that God scattered them across the face of the earth. There's a distinction here in the in the people. And it's not very clearly laid out specifically in this chapter. But this was a work that God had ordained that he had sent Nehemiah to accomplish. And therefore, this was ultimately about the name of the Lord, his honor, his power, his glory. And so there is a difference here, difference in what united them. What was their goal? The people were able to do this work in such a miraculous way because of their faith in the Lord and their desire to honor and serve him, to worship him. It's important when we consider this chapter, we really look at the context. And we see in chapter 2, God sending Nehemiah. Nehemiah's words in declaring that God was with them, with him rather, and in the work. And the people were excited. So they begin to work. And we look in chapter four again, there's there's some opposition, there's a struggle and there's people becoming discouraged as they had been before. And Nehemiah reminds them of this. He says, do not be afraid of them. Remember the great and awesome Lord. He also tells them to fight and be ready because of their own families. Why were the people united in what they did? Because they believed God. It's important that we not separate what people believe from what they do. And what the people did demonstrated something. It demonstrated who they served, who they honored, and who they believed in. And so as we will continue on next week, even in the struggles that they faced, they could remember the Lord and the reason why they were doing these things. We too are 
deeds flow from our beliefs and show do we trust God in the work that he has for us do we believe in him I bring this up because it could be very easy to focus on in a book like this things like Nehemiah's leadership or the people's hard work and so on. But ultimately, it's an example of people acting in dependence on God. Acting in faith, trusting Him to be the good, powerful God that Nehemiah had said to them. Trusting that he was present with them as Nehemiah had said that he was present with him. But we come across one notable exception in this chapter. And that is some nobles. The word there in uh, 3 verse 5 is these men appear to not have been rulers from birth, but like uh, leaders elected to their position in their town. And so they were chosen for whatever qualities might have been for leadership. And yet, verse 5 says that they would not stoop to serve their Lord. Now, some translations uh, also say lords there. And so maybe there's some confusion. Who, who did they disobey? Ultimately, whether it was human leaders or God that the text is talking about, we think it's fair to understand that they that uh, we sin against people, but ultimately, as David said, I've sinned against the Lord. And, and in their not stooping down to serve, to do this work that perhaps they thought, you know what, that's above me. I'm a leader. I'm a chosen person. They were, um, they were being proud, thinking themselves above what someone would have them to do. And we could easily wonder, well, well, why, why would you do this? And and you know, like everybody else is doing it, why wouldn't they just jump on and get involved in what God's doing or whatever? But how might we say the same kind of thing? We say, oh, I'll serve you in this thing, but, but that, Lord, or you really say that? You, did you really say that in your word that I have to do that? Because I'm pretty sure that's their job. And sometimes we act that way as well. important that we look first at our own hearts and and what are we willing to do are we willing to serve no matter our position no matter uh, what excuses we might have I want to stop there just to look at the bigger picture What do we see here? We see 
the people of God, except for a few of the proud leaders, the people of God working together, demonstrating their faith in God by serving him. And as you read this chapter, becomes fairly clear that this isn't something that one person could have done. It would have certainly taken more than 52 days. And God, that's not the way God wanted it. He didn't send Nehemiah to do all the work. Nehemiah needed each one of these names. And I think about how each name represents a person or a group who faithfully served in this way. And it just reminds me of so much in the New Testament. We've been going through Ephesians, and that theme comes up a lot, so I'm sorry if you're getting it so much. I thought about that as I was picking Nehemiah. I thought, we're probably going to cover some of the same themes. But I hope we can begin to continue to see its importance. You know, as we think of the imagery in Ephesians 4 and how God has given some so that all might be equipped to build the body so that together we could be built up, growing into him who is the head, Jesus Christ. And that is the goal, ultimately, that we come to be more in his image and likeness, stronger and more mature in our faith, We see this in other parts of the New Testament. I was reminded of Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and just the, this imagery of the body and, and the different members, the different parts of the body, all one body, though they serve different functions. I was reading to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm just amazed at this picture of being living stones built on the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ into a house for his dwelling made a, a royal priesthood and a holy nation to glorify God in the world by our good deeds. When we look at what the Bible has to say about the church, it uh, really becomes clear that God has given every member a part to play. And he's done so as it says in Ephesians 3 verse 10, so that the manifold wisdom of God might be revealed in the heavens. I don't know if that amazes you or just kind of something to gloss over, but this is not something to sort of just sit there and just kind of take in and be, oh, you know, 
This is a real deal here. That we understand our calling to serve the Lord. I did something a bit interesting the other day. I was just reading through um, Nehemiah chapter 3, and I was thinking about your names, the names of the people in this church, as I read. And, you know, it was an encouraging way for me to remember the importance of each part of the body. And uh, to remember, for us to really believe and, and internalize the truth that those who believe in him, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection and his burial, and who have received him as Lord and Savior, the one to whom they give their allegiance, that we have been set free to serve Him. And this is something that's way bigger than any one of us. So I thought a lot about what keeps us, what keeps me from valuing unity, what keeps me from valuing serving the Lord on, on my own part? And there's many things we could talk about. We could talk about a lack of fear, or lack of faith, sorry, having a fear or discouragement. And we're going to see a bit of that in the people in Nehemiah chapter 4. We could talk about a lack of love sometimes, like I just don't care, more focused on myself, or maybe think it's not my job. We could talk about a lack of, of humility and the pride as we, as we see in, in the, the nobles, the leaders who consider themselves above whatever, above this work. But you know what the answer to all of these things is it is to remember the gospel to remember the lengths to which Christ went to rescue us from our sin and to restore us to the father remembering his love his faithfulness his humility is what guards our hearts from being unwilling to serve him consider why it is that we serve, why it is that we do the things that we do. When we remember that He came as the one who served us, how can we as followers do any less? You know, I, talk, I thought also about sometimes it's not so much these other things Sometimes it's just a lack of direction in our lives. And I feel that a lot. Don't, what's my part in this? I know the Great Commission. I can quote you, you know, go and make disciples or whatever. But what's my part in this? 
And it's a difficult thing to wrestle with. How specifically can we live this out? And I don't have the answers for you completely. No, I know that the Word of God gives us much direction. I'd like to do a message on that in the near future, thinking about God's will, because it's an important topic. And there's a lot of questions to consider. I want to leave you with a couple of questions as we think about serving the Lord. What opportunities has God given me right now where I am? How might He have gifted me to to serve Him, to build up the body of Christ? How might I help my fellow Christians to fulfill their calling, to understand their place? in his church. Consider these questions. You know, we're on a journey of helping one another to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. And there's so much more ahead. I just think about the story of Nehemiah and you realize this is a broad picture, but There was a lot ahead of the people over those 52 days as they got organized and got set to work. And to to put ourselves in that place of, Lord, what do you want me to do? How can I serve you? How can we together serve you? And as you think about Nehemiah, to be able to remember this chapter and to think of the Lord's people serving him together and demonstrating their faith in a great and a good God. I just want to close with a benediction from Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. And may the God of endurance and comfort give you unity with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.